what is happening with the world of conservative media in 2023. It's, it, it's a mess. Tucker Carlson's out at Fox. I've got conflicting opinions when it comes to Matt Walsh and the Daily Wire crew. And, and I just want to dive into it with, with another fellow conservative here, Dexter Tarbucks, a contributor over at the New England Take. You are listening to the New England Take. I'm your host, AJ said Check out the newenglandtake.com to get more from the site. Like and subscribe if you're checking this out on YouTube and uh, follow us on the socials. We're posting things there on a fairly regular basis now and excited to start have have uh, Dexter back on for a second episode. Welcome back. Hi, AJ. So let's start off with Tucker. I mean, good God. We get the Dominion settlement. They, they managed to avoid it going to court, at least thus far. But big thing that people aren't considering also and it's kind of glossed over is the fact that they have another lawsuit that's worth twice as much. It's like two point something billion dollars that Smartmatic is suing Fox for. So, I, I mean, generally, we'll dive into kind of Tucker overall. But, I mean, how much of, do you think this, um, these lawsuits are really affecting their decision with what Fox is doing going forward? Uh, well, you know, I think it definitely played um, at least some sort of a role. Um, the timing would seem to suggest that that it can't not. And of course, you know, there's also talk of some lawsuits that were taking place within the um, the Tucker Carlson um, production team as well. And there's some suggestion that that played um, a, a not insubstantial role in the decision making. Um, though, of course, that's all rumor. Uh, just as is the connection to Dominion. I've heard just as many people making the argument that indeed there is no connection as that there is. Um, if it is connected, I think it's probably more on a very broad risk management basis than it is a direct quid pro quo as in part of this settlement necessitated the firing of Tucker. Um, if anything, it, it's causing the management, if it had an impact, it's it's uh, coming from the management overall reassessing, I think, its content mix. Um, and I think the Dan Bongino no longer being over there announced a week ago is even more evidence of that. I mean, Bongino says whatever he wants to say, especially when you go to his online only context. The Fox show is just one small piece of what he does. And uh, it's going to affect his, his output in the long term with, with the audience he get for a smaller guy in the grand scheme of things with Bongino. But. I mean, it's it's a risk having these two guys on there when you're very corporate cable news. It's true, and as with the the connection between the lawsuits and Tucker, um, there there's some ambiguity about what happened with Bongino. At least there, they've been a little bit more clear um, that it was a, a contract negotiation dispute. Um, but again, yeah, the the nature of these two shows, the timing in such close proximity to each other and to the lawsuits, I mean, it can't help but raise eyebrows. Let's talk about Tucker, just generally speaking, in the scheme of conservative media, because he is a fascinating figure. Like people, people just assume because he's a right wing guy on Fox News that that he's this super MAGA, all in, no matter what guy. When he isn't really like, yeah, he sides with Trump, but generally speaking, over the span of the Trump presidency, I sided with Trump a lot. Like, like well, it comes down to the issues and the policies that he was trying to enact. But, but generally speaking, Tucker had no problem calling out Trump, in my opinion, and and it, it kind of raised a f some issues within the Fox host ecosystem, especially when you have Hannity that. Talk, you want to talk a MAGA guy. Hannity is your MAGA guy, generally speaking, in my opinion. He's, he's, he was all 
very he's very corporate in his approach. He, I think he tends to side a lot more with kind of the Fox News way of things. And Tucker, I don't think really cared. He just said what he he wanted to do. I'm not to say there weren't times, obviously, that he he did go along <laughs> likely with what the the multi-billion dollar corporation that pays his his salary wanted to have happen. But he, he wasn't as MAGA as the left wing press made him out to be. No, absolutely not. And I think you you bring up a good point by by um, uh, raising the contrast with Hannity. Hannity, I frankly consider to be a little bit of a poser. Um, uh, I think he is, as you say, corporate. Um, and in fact, when we got into some of the things that were reported in the Dominion case um, that came from the depositions, it seems that behind closed doors, in fact, he may not necessarily embrace all of the views that he does when the cameras are on him. And I don't think that's so for Tucker. Tucker was um, one of the last, I think, true believers uh, working at that organization. Um, I think his views that he expressed on TV were, were very much what he expressed behind closed doors as well. And that's a big distinction between them, um, because you're right. It, it led to Tucker having a certainly more nuanced um, view of the issues than someone like Hannity or some of the more more corporate controlled media personalities expressed. Yeah, it's Tucker. Is, Tucker has. I, I mean, I, I really hate to say this because it's really not, I guess it's the wrong way to think about it. I think generally speaking, people tend to think of Tucker as kind of liberty-minded. He's a conservative when it comes to his values, generally speaking. But but it's hilarious to, if if definitely would suggest checking out uh, Ben Shapiro did his Sunday special with Tucker. And they agree, disagreed on like almost everything that was brought up on there. Generally speaking, Ben Shapiro is very libertarian leading, leaning conservative. Like morally, he's very, very conservative, I mean, especially he's, he's an Orthodox Jew. There's no way around that. But sure. when it comes to individual liberty at the federal level, he's very libertarian with, with his, his opinions on that in the state level. And Tucker and him don't agree on a lot, especially when it comes to foreign policy and such. That was definitely one of the most um, uh, contentious points that I noticed between that, that interview that they did together, um, uh, where Hannity was very clear that he sees um, oftentimes there being a very, a, a very functional role for the federal government um, um, in, in directing the life of the country, which is definitely not the view that Shapiro seemed to have held. Um, so again, as I say, there, there's a lot more nuance to Tucker, uh, I think, than you would find even with some others who are sort of stock libertarians or... Uh, uh, and you know, and you you bring up as well foreign policy, which I think is one of the things. If we're looking at the broader circumstances that led to his um, presumably termination from the network, I think that his positions on Ukraine and on January sixth were two of the things that landed him in the most hot water because he really did go against the grain of what Fox as a corporation seems to be embracing in those two areas, which is very much pro-Ukraine. And, uh, and very much uh, along the narrative, the, the mainstream narrative of what took place on January 6th. Uh, and as we understand it, uh, he didn't even, uh, he was not able to even complete his reporting uh, that he planned to do on January 6th. We hear that was nixed um, by the organization. Um, so, so in those two areas, he clearly spoke out against uh, the narrative that, that Fox was interested in pursuing. So let, let's talk Fox specifically as a network, because I, I, I make no bones about it on this program. I pray for the death of cable news on a regular <laughs> basis whenever I see it pop up in the headlines, whether it's your CNN, your MSNBC, your Fox News, um, HLN, all these nonsense secondary organizations that all sprouted off of it. I, I, I think they are 
inherently toxic. I believe they are a big part of the reason why our country has a real problem when it comes to political discourse. The you look at everything po like you go way back. Um, I'm 36. You look at what happened with Columbine and what happened after after Columbine. That was really a big, big shift in how the media was looked at going forward. It changed at that point. That was a historic moment that I think is forgotten nowadays in how it was covered. What the 24/7 just constant, we're gonna hammer this story nonstop, whether or not there's anything to actually cover within the story. And then when it, and then nowadays you see we're still having this 24-7 nonsense covering the same story to death to the point, and now add in this just toxic um, political discourse on top of it. Like, I, I am so happy to see their numbers dwindling and I will, will pull up some, some uh, cable news figures shortly, but it's, I want it gone. <laughs> Let's just leave it at that. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, and, and with decisions like this, it seems they're, they're maybe doing the work for you um, to get them away. You're right, there's been, I, I don't know necessarily if I attribute the, the what many people would call sort of the coarsening of our political discourse exclusively to that. But yeah, it certainly didn't help. And, and again, especially as you mentioned that the 24 hour news cycle um, becoming very much a 24 hour political news cycle uh, um, can't help but contribute to that. And I think when you look at the loss of someone like Tucker Carlson, who did go against the grain of the corporate narrative, we're going to see only a worsening of that in these networks as they, guess, uh, as they exist now. They'll, they'll surely resort more to the party line, uh, such as it is, um, if they continue to weed out anyone who's going to speak against them, like Carlson, like Bongino. Um, and so I, I covered this, I think I mentioned a little bit earlier, but um, the Tucker's departure for this site called Louder.News, um, which just incidentally is run by a former Fox guy. Um, and I think especially in light of essentially society's loss uh, of one of the only outspoken conservative voices in cable news, uh, outlets like Daily Wire, um, like Newsmax, are, are going to become all the more important. Yeah, it's... And, and I think what gets kind of roped into this conversation, which is, I, I think, wrong, is that, that it's a problem that we have punditry. Because that, I mean, that's what really made cable news blow up, especially over the last, or continue to be able to hold its own over the last 10 years, is, is punditry, the, the faces that people can still listen to, which is a real old school thing when you really look at it. It's, you look back to your Cronkites and, and such like that. Like it, I feel like that's still very important, and people shouldn't... It, it, another, another constant theme I bring up on the show is, I, I feel like basically all news outlets have a narrative or a political leaning whether they mean it or not mean to have it or not like when it comes to what they decide to cover how they decide to cover it what stories are recurring in various ways um, but to have that that person you go to where you understand this is their take on it is very important like when people um, tune like like I listen to uh, like a great example is Breaking Points, which I, I constantly harp on as a, as a great show uh, in the new online media landscape, where you know Sagar is going to have a more um, 
conservative base look when it comes to public policy and things like that. And, and Crystal Ball is definitely progressive. But generally speaking, when they're back and forth, they offer both points on it, which is kind of a unique situation. But on the other hand, I also, like I said, I listen to Ben Shapiro on a regular basis. I, th I think his, his take on things is very important and, uh, for like on the more local level, I pay attention to what New Hampshire Public Radio puts out there. As much as they like to say that their coverage is nonpartisan at all, there there's there's partisanship <laughs> in the stories they decide to cover, and I, I have a lot of respect for the work they do. But I, the the shifting of what you decide to cover is very important, and to know the outlets. What what where they're coming from is very important. Like Rachel Maddow, on like is like the lone holdout that's making the left wing cable news be able to exist. Essentially, is is another one. Like I think there's value in her being in the landscape and to have these these individuals that you know you can go to. It's like this is the take they're going to have on it. It's important to really understand where the Overton window is shifting on things. Oh yeah, it's definitely a landscape of sages now. You know, you go to you go to this person for this and the other for that, uh, and I don't see that shifting. I think if anything, we're moving we're moving further into that um, as we see news organizations, quote unquote, let's say, um, begin to embrace more of an editorial policy. That's that's yeah partisan you know and and specifically so um the more we are going to be going to different outlets for different takes on different pieces uh, on different areas so I, I don't think that's um that's decreasing at all i think it, it is people going to platforms like this that they know have a uh, specific bent um that that's really the future of of uh uh, we should call it news. I don't know, but uh, but of uh, yeah, that's the thing. political like, what do, content. What do we call it's, this? There's like, not a precise term, is there? Yeah, like, commentary what, what is too here? specific. Uh, that's the thing. Is it commentary? But commentary almost seems too specific in one area, as in that there is no news content to it, and you don't want to go that far as to say that. Whereas saying news implies that there's no element of commentary, and of course that's not the case either. Um, so even the terms um, that we need to define what this media landscape looks like now haven't even really seemed to be developed adequately yet. Yeah, I mean, this has been something that's racked my brain since I started this show two years ago. Like, I, I, I literally say repeatedly, I'm not a journalist. I, I'm, not, I'm not a reporter. I cover news. I do interviews that you can consider journalistic. Like, I would consider this analysis. For sure, everything we're talking about in this segment is definitely analysis, but would I wouldn't necessarily call it straight up opinion. Um, and, and like you talk about, we talk about the, these pundits out there, like your like Tucker and such. Like they're covering the news, but they're also offering this analysis. Like what's the line between analyzing what's going on and what's straight up punditry? Like one of the main reasons why I stopped listening to the NPR politics podcast is I felt like it started going into rank punditry instead of analyzing what's going on with at least a portion of their hosts over there. It's a big reason why every time Mara Eliasson, for example, pops on the air, uh, I cringe and go, oh God, please put <laughs> someone else back on. Steve Inskeep is the same way when we're talking these these in it, I feel like NPR is like the prime example of them needing to determine what they want to do because they do, in my opinion, in their little snide comments, go <laughs> into straight up commentary instead of analyzing what's going on. 
And I think NPR is is maybe even a, a unique and, and sort of particularly revolting case um, because I think anyone who doesn't recognize that it has a bias, or, or if we want to be even more polite, we'll call it an editorial policy that favors a certain direction. Uh, I think anyone who doesn't see that is obviously deluding themselves, and I think it's a little bit more disgusting in the case of NPR because we're paying for it. Yeah, yeah. Let, let's not. Fr- it's ten percent. That's not a big deal. Oh, we're 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 gonna have to shut our doors because we're gonna lose that ten percent. Yeah, yeah. Minds, people. It, it's and and I, I'd be interested to uh, to see the flowchart as to how some of the grants and other things that fund it. You come. I I I would not be uh, surprised to learn that that tax money, at one level or another, filters through that that um, pathway as well. Um, I, I'm so upset that the um, the very short-lived era of marking it as state-sponsored media on Twitter has uh, has now come to an end. I'm told. I guess they couldn't um, stand up to the protests on that. Uh, at least I'd hope they would have done a little bit longer because I think that was a very aptly applied label. Um, and if it were were similar content from any other country, we certainly would have marked it as such um, because it is state-sponsored media. And it does endorse the state's position. BBC is the same thing. And and they're really looked at in this kind of flaky way as, look, they're journalists, they're doing this and this. Like, no, they're funded by mandatory licensing by the British population that is state-funded media. NPR isn't to the same extent, per se, but they have this weird, like, I've never under, like, I've never understood their sponsorship system versus advertising sponsorship levels because it's the same thing it's just say you're a non-profit radio station with government funding i mean just be straightforward and admit that if a tenth of your budget is coming from tax dollars and grants that are supported through tax dollars that means you have some level of um of whether you mean to or not uh, sway inadvertently is going to happen at some point with regards to that. I mean, there's, there's the reason why Democrats and NPR are ju- just hand in hand. They, they're, they're just together because the Democrats are the ones that support it. And the reason why, um, and like, it, it's it, a lot of their coverage. Like, I don't know, like, where the line is with what exactly caused the, the, the snowballing here, but it's it's a left-wing outlet and anyone that says otherwise really needs to reevaluate their how they read the media because they're the same people that probably don't think CNN has a bias oh yeah I mean that's the thing if you wanted to go ahead and, and kind of as you suggested just call it um, um, nonprofit radio for instance with public funding they would have to take an editorial position which was fundamentally neutral uh, and the fact of the matter is they don't do that they embrace a position which supports left-leaning uh, state-centric ideology um, so so the fact of the matter is it, it truly is state-funded media because it's not just how it gets its money it's its editorial policy as well all right well, I want to just briefly look at cable news uh, of viewerships, because I feel like that's an important thing to figure out what the future is for news media. And it's, I, I really think I've been correct for years saying cable news is gonna die at some point when it comes to re- getting either literally <laughs> or figuratively, where basically their entire the entire audience is gonna be online instead or going to 
broadcast radio, which has seen multiple resurgences over the last 20 years, shockingly enough. Um, like you can listen to this show on WKXL in, in Concord and Manchester. It's because there's an audience there that's still tuning into the, these, these frequencies. And when you look at, so this is from adweek.com. We are, to be clear, we're recording this on Tuesday, April 25th. So this is the top 10 for April 2021 as per, whoops, this is really old. <laughs> that, that would have been a mistake. Um, let me see if I can pull up the Tucker Carlson. Yes, I was just looking at this the other day. I mean, it, it, was, it wasn't a, uh, a ratings decision. I mean, God knows uh, when you see how, how well he performed on that network. Yeah, no, all right. I think I got the latest one. So this is, this is a lot better here. So um, the five, let me make sure this is March 28th, 23. So that's close enough. So um, the five has 58 telecasts with 3.2 million viewerships. Uh, number two was Tucker Carlson with only 53 telecasts with 3.2 million. Um, Jesse Waters has 2.7. Like, these are all just just huge and Hannity had only 50 telecasts with 2.5 like it, you're basically Fox News is going to be Greg Gutfeld with all his programs because he's got Gutfeld with an exclamation point in the five <laughs> which is this, like panel show with which has comedians and um, other political commentators that, that go more on the lighter side of things generally speaking like like Kat Temp for example who is pretty funny I, f I follow on Twitter it's like it's it's a different thing like like this this and as this is with Hannity he's got a radio show like like I guarantee he's getting more listenership on his radio show and his online presence than than anything this broadcast uh, operations going to be able to do the, these are f subsidized we talk about NPR being subsidized by the government cable news is subsidized by your cable fees these stations would not exist without that, as well as licensing with like airports and things like that that pay to have it just just on or vice versa. It, it, it probably depends on the location mm. for something like that, where which way the money's going. But it, it's not from viewership. I mean, when you if there was a think about it, if there was a YouTube channel that only got that released fifty eight telecasts and only had three point two million views. I mean, that's nothing. You talk breaking points, once again, just to be consistent here, like they consistently have tens of thousands of people checking out their videos and going north of 200,000 per clip, let alone the millions that you know have to be downloading their, their four-day-a-week show, I think it is now. Oh, yeah, and of course, we absolutely are seeing the, the larger networks, even the smaller ones like a Newsmax, for instance, heavily investing in streaming as part of their strategy going forward because the, um, the carriage fees are, are becoming an increasingly small part uh, of, of their, their overall revenue mix. So, yeah, they, they know that the, that the direction is to go out and create more streaming on-demand content. Um, that people can access when they want it. And, and it, it goes back to even what we talked about a little bit earlier, the notion that people know what they're getting when they pick a commentator. And that seems to be the trend of media today. Um, so, so it's no wonder that investments are being heavily made in that direction because people want it on demand and they want to know what they're getting. Um, and, and that's what uh, uh, streaming affords. So let's transition over to what's going on over at the Daily Wire. I have a Matt Walsh problem. 
I listened. I was a daily. I suspected. Yeah, I was a daily listener of Matt Walsh for the longest time, for 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 a few years, and and I stopped tuning in probably about two years ago on a regular basis, mm. something to that effect. Matt, he he's funny. I mean, there's no way around it. He's a funny guy. He, he he's this dry, sarcastic. <laughs> wit that that i just did i grew up in maine like that that's like that's what you expect from your humor is that um the brutal sarcasm that's like is he really joking or not he, he literally had theocratic fascist as his bio forever it's probably still on his twitter account like it's freaking hilarious like he just, he just went all in then the abortion debate where it was Every single episode, we are talking about abortion, period. And slowly, over several months, it became more and more hardline. Like, I, look, I get it. I get it. If you literally view this as a genocide, as this, these millions of, of, of babies are literally being murdered across the board, I get it. I genuinely feel for it. I think we have a huge cultural problem in this country when it comes to abortion. Uh, it, it should not be done as uh, birth control. That is mm -hmm. hugely unethical for abortion your what you decide to do because you, you got knocked up and you just didn't plan for it. That's life. You, you, you've got to deal with those consequences sometimes. Of course. Um, it, but that became the entirety of what he did. And now we're seeing that again. He's doing the same thing with the transgender debate. And it just makes Matt Walsh look look evil. <laughs> like, I know it isn't necessarily what he means to do. He, he's very serious and he's been, um, he's been really targeted in various ways. There's been threats against his family and things like that, which oh, I yeah. get. But it, you, it's... This is the downside with our political punditry being the way we get our news. Is we have this guy like I don't. It's like I feel like he's taken a step deeper than I wanted to see, and I don't know if he's so into it. Like I, it's a problem to me. Like I don't. What's your take on it? I mean, it's I've, I've been going for like four minutes on this, but <laughs> I like I, I, it really bothers me because the guy's funny. I agree with what he says, but. His the same issue with any single single issue voter candidate. I have the same problem with. You know, I agree. I think the well, I agree in that. I think the biggest issue that Matt has is that he does certainly have a one track mind, and it, it tends very strongly towards, I guess, what we typically class as social issues. Um, but you know, I'm someone who believes that there is a place for that. And connecting back to, to what we've been saying about media now in general, I, I think you know what you're getting when you pick him. So um, certainly I wouldn't want to make um, the Matt Walsh show my primary news source, um, you know, because you're not going to get uh, uh, much diversity of thought by any means. Um, and, you know, and he, and he doesn't really debate, you know, on his show at all either, too. So it is very much a, a monologue, you know, delivered by him uh, on his uh his thoughts on again the yeah this narrow set of ideas but again i i think you get uh what you pay for when you choose to listen to a commentator like that and you have to do it um in proportion to the other the other content that you take in um but you know i have to say 
the, as I say, I think there's a role for it. And when we look at the threats of demonetization um, from YouTube, and, and of course, much worse, this hacking uh, of his phone and, uh, and the accounts by some techno freak, you know, it, it's totally emblematic uh, to me of how the left confronts the ideas with which they disagree. Uh, and it's because they don't have wit enough to challenge Matt's actual arguments on their face. And you can see that in every public interaction he has with them. Um, so they resort to this hacking his Twitter and posting like a raunchy song on his page. Um, so I feel that you, you know that he and the Daily Wire must be doing something right uh, if these are the attacks, uh, these types of attacks are the best they can do on the left to, to challenge him and to challenge Daily Wire. So again, th I think there's a place for it. And clearly it is provoking people in a way that they simply can't respond with logic or reason and so have to respond with these sort of more vicious um, vicious measures. Um, which to, to me suggests that, that he's doing something right in the way he's framing this argument um, because it can't be attacked on a logical basis. So it tells me something. Yeah, and yeah, he definitely like takes the mask off on people for sure. Like, like it's Listen, Ben Shapiro, who's one of the founders of the Daily Wire, does his college debates and things like that, and he's also done some um, some panels on more traditional media outlets, and he does a good job with with approaching to a certain point. But he he covers a lot of different things, and he like de debates debate. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. He attacks people for for the way they argue it, as opposed to Matt Walsh when he's bringing up his points. I feel like he's straightforward, saying like, "This is an ethical debate. These are my ethics. These are you can disagree with my ethics. That's fine. I'm going to fight to the end that I'm correct, though, which I think is is admirable." Uh, well, I think a big speaking. part. I think a big part of what he does, the way he he puts forward his argument, which, as we said, can be rather one note. But a big part of the way he does it is he allows um, people on the other side to sort of hang themselves with their own noose. You know, uh, particularly with the "What Is a Woman" documentary that he made, where where he sort of simply asks sometimes provoking questions and really the the core of the content was these rather ludicrous responses that were coming from the the subjects uh, that he was interviewing um of course the ultimate one being simply the question that's the title of the movie what is a woman um which which as of yet nobody up to and including supreme court uh nominees now seated justices can seem to answer uh if they're on the left so so he he has a different technique than, than we see with Ben Shapiro. Um, and I, I, again, I think there, there is a place for it, um, though I, I would concede that if, there, if there's one thing he, he could do better is maybe uh, diversifying his arguments a little bit. But uh, even then, I, I, I maybe second-guess myself a little, even as I say that, because it does seem to work. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I mean, there's no way around it. He, he, I mean, he's built a tremendous audience. Like, he, like he got the big reason why we're even bringing this up right now is he the hacking that you did bring up. He's also been demonetized on YouTube, and basically, Daily Wire threw up the middle finger when when it comes to his YouTube account, saying, "Screw it, we're just gonna start posting on Twitter because they have this new video feature that they can they can now use on there." Facebook is. Tremendous. Facebook is a big part of the reason why the Daily Wire blew up. And I don't know if people realize yeah. it. Like the the early days of the Daily Wire, they went viral because of 
uh, Michael Knowles and Ben Shapiro and Matt Walsh when he got scooped up over there and um, their their digital advertising and conservative news outlets that's part of their operation just just went gangbusters. They they had this there's this huge hole when it comes to conservative media uh, in this country and online is the old school AM radio that that was what was it back in the 60s or 70s I can't remember what decade it really blew up maybe the 80s um, online is that and and they they found this hole and they ate it up and they are right now the winners of the digital news war I mean you look at the failures of Vox you look at the failures of the mm. Huffington Post there is a there was oh actually today it was 538 their editor and chief and founder said he's not going to renew his contract so the whatever's left of 538 which is actually a decent outlet generally speaking and for mm. center of the road left-leaning group uh, they have some great reporters they do a little bit of sports they do a little bit of everything so it's, it's what Nate Silver was doing over there it was really cool it, it, but he's out so, like, what, there's the Daily Wire, what Steven Crowder's really doing with his subscription-based system. Um, the, it's, the left-wing outlets kind of filled the, filled the war overall. Like, they still exist, and there's, but I feel like, I mean, there's NPR. Once again, we bring up them. They're the huge player right now that, that I think really has surpassed its um, traditional outlets, generally speaking. But they were they suffered ten percent cuts here just a, just a few weeks ago. So it, the media landscape is gonna get is gonna be messy as could possibly be as we go through this next presidential cycle. And if if Trump doesn't get in, who I don't know what these left wing outlets are gonna do because they're not gonna be able to pull on the stats that they really <laughs> need. And or they, there's a reason why I feel like Trump was basically their lifeline for four years or five years. Um, and between the lead up to the election and then the post-election craziness, it, like, it's if they don't have that draw, I mean, I don't know what's going to happen. I mean, maybe well, you know, as as evidenced by the fact that um, now, what are we, two, three years post-Trump, they are still daily bringing him into every conversation about yeah. what's wrong with America. I mean, they they can't let the man go because he did sustain them for so long. Yeah, it's. It'll be interesting to see. I mean, maybe some of these other smaller outlets will have a chance to start exploding. My, my, my hope and dream is that maybe local journalism can start breathing a little bit because it won't have that click competition so much. Because um, you got to figure you can only fill the brains of so many people with so many articles. <laughs> like, <laughs> every, everyone's online now. Like, there's no way around it. The boomers live on Facebook now. Like, yeah. we have crossed the line where digital is the be all end all. The reason why I feel fairly confident in the long term that I'm hoping to really build up the New England take is because, like, everyone's there it's e it's so easy to dump the video natively on facebook you can dump it on youtube twitter's doing its thing if you want to go the completely independent model locals and rumble and all that have really blown up you look at what um another moderate sized creator like bridget fetacy for example which which is hilarious like all everything she's doing with fetacy.com building off of locals like there's ways of 
existing in this atmosphere without relying on the FCC for keeping you up with regards to uh, cable news, taxes, and distribution fees and things like that, keeping you, your lights on without multi-million dollar operations. Like, I'm able to keep this thing going along with a shoestring and $500 a year, basically. It's bananas what you can do in 2023. And, um, like, I'm, I'm hoping more legit journalists at the local level are able to 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 capitalize on it well you know and i think love him or hate him the the matt walsh relationship with daily wire is a great sort of primer for for that that model um simply because you know again while he he does take very provocative takes that have clearly evoked the ire of 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 numerous um, nuts who are powerful enough to, to hack into his phone and get all of his personal communications, they, they stand very firmly by him and they are going to support him because while he may even have a different position on this than some of their other contributors, they, they see the value of having that in the mix and they're going to, to continue to, to support him, um, even if there may be disagreements even between their management and, and he uh, on the positions that he takes. Um, and again, you contrast that to what we were just talking about with Fox News uh, and Tucker, or there again uh, at CNN and uh, Don Lemon, uh, where that is, is clearly not the um, the position they take with their content creators, their commentators. Um, I think Daily Wire shows us the way. Yeah, and guaranteed in the next three to six months, Tucker Carlson will be on a digital outlet somewhere, either independently or partnered with someone else. I mean, this is the whole operation that Glenn Beck did with The Blaze, where it's it's digital first, basically, essentially, and then he does partnerships with, with traditional media. Um, Tucker's going to survive this. He will be just as rich as he has been, if not richer, and probably be able to reach a hell of a lot more people than... Uh, whatever Fox News could put out there because he won't be kind of um, j just part of everything else they do. It's going to be the Tucker show yeah. run by the Tucker company. Yeah, yeah. He's not going to have um, Paul Ryan and the Murdochs to, uh, you know, breathe down his neck. I mean, that alone is going to be, uh, I'm sure, a big weight off his back. And yeah, I mean, think about it. If Cuomo is already back, uh, I, I think Tucker will have no problem uh, making a pretty triumphant return. Dexter Tarbucks, thank you so much for joining me. This has been a fascinating conversation of, oh, God, what is the future of this entire industry? Great talking to you. AJ Kier said, host of the New England Take. Be sure to like and subscribe if you're checking that out. Hit those buttons down there. Uh, be sure to follow New England Take on Facebook, Twitter. We are now on LinkedIn, so if you're one of those nuts over there that, that really likes LinkedIn, you can now uh, you can now subscribe to the show over there. Um, we, uh, we're, we're hoping to really expand. If you're interested in contributing to the show, just like Dexter here, please be sure to email the New England Take at gmail.com. Hey, if you if you want to try something out, you do something else, and this is a side job, hit me up. I, I really want to get some people with different opinions, especially if you lean on the left. Please, if you're on the left, please reach out because I want, I want some counterpoints on this show, and um, I, I've got an open mind to it. All right, NewEnglandTake.com. Talk to you next week.